All right, welcome everyone. We're in Black Hat at the beautiful Plaza Suite here with the audience first team. And I've got Yoat Fikate. He's the founder and CEO of Blindspot Security. And uh, we're going to talk about blind spots today. You know, Let's do that. Yoad, we're, we're in hot Vegas. It's 108 degrees. I think it's safe to say we're glad air conditioning exists today. Yeah, it's not humid. That's the good part. It's not humid. You know, you're coming from Tel Aviv, right? So Tel Aviv, humidity, you walk outside, it's like 95 degrees, you're water, right? So, Yoad, you know, why'd you start Blindspot Security? What was kind of the need you were trying to solve when you started this company? Well, it was 2021 and everybody uh, come with a presentation and raise money. So that I decided, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I worked for, um, I worked for uh, Microsoft in my last and uh, I've led a group of uh, DevOps engineers there. And uh, we were part of the uh, incident response team for the uh, solar wind. And, you know, after this uh, breach, I was looking for a solution to bring to the company that would help us solve, you know, future incidents, uh, God forbid. And I couldn't find anything. And that's when I decided that that's something that is solvable. I know the right person that could join me and actually make it happen. And, you know, a year and a few months later, and uh, here I am. You know, we, we often, you know, Danny, who's who's in the room here with us, and she's trying to educate people on how to approach CISOs, but I think a lot of CISOs have never been in the shoes of starting a company, right, and kind of going out and raising money. We have to ask CFOs for money, typically, right? As a practitioner, my CFO gets the best presents. He, I, I got him in espressos, so now I send him espresso capsules like every month. And now he's asking for beans, right? Right. Now he wants to upgrade his machine and get beans. He wants to know the good kind of beans. Uh, uh, you know, going out on your own, starting a company a few years ago, you know, what's what's the ultimate kind of, where do you see this company going? Good question, Nick. And I will double-click on, on what you said on, on Danny. I think that um, on my first six months in, in the business, I... You know, I, I didn't know how to approach CISOs and I used all kind of uh, random acronyms like guys here. And it didn't work. And, I, and I'm and i the opposite way. Like When people ask me for DevOps advices on LinkedIn, I, you know, I immediately, you know, answered. But then I realized that the market is so saturated and these are so saturated that you need, um, you need a different approach for that. And, you know, I sat around and saw a lot of um, Danny's video with uh, Chris and other CISOs and made me realize that, you know, we need to do something uh, different in terms of reaching out and, and marketing. And that's that, like where the point got me to the place that today it's like, as far as I can tell, it's zero bullshit. So it's either I... I answer a pain, a need, or not. And so, so let's talk about, about that pain for a second, right? So the pain you're trying to solve is a real one. All of us exist in the world of writing millions and billions and, and, and so many lines of code. You're, you're an open source, what I like to call the open source shark fest pool. That's, you know, yeah, it's got some good fish you can eat, but it's also got a lot of non-kosher and a lot of predators that can seem innocent and then all of a sudden really, really create a bunch of wreak havoc in your environment. 
talk about this pain point you're trying to solve and and really kind of the the start of the pain point what's the value add so i think it kind of uh divides to two areas one is your company and the second one is what you build so eventually and and was it and microsoft and previous companies that i worked for before you invest a lot of money in the posture of your company but you can't really do the same for the open source you bring and how do you verify that you bring in only innocent ingredients to the system so there are two parts of that one is non vulnerabilities everybody does that it, it's a commodity you have to do it and today it got to the point that it probably 95% noise and 5% maybe real exploitable uh, data and the other part is the trojans the unknown and i think that's the part that's missing a lot of education these days and we can take the solo wind case <clears throat> which is the poster kit attack right but since then there's been a lot of uh, there have been a lot of attacks and i'm not speaking everybody knows lock4j lock4j is still a vulnerability it's a zero day it's a zero day but it's still a vulnerability it's a mistake right somebody did a mistake and now it can be exploited and we're speaking on solo winds or 36 that happened a few months ago parser js that happened like about a year and a half ago jump cloud uh, incident that just happened yep that actual malicious attack uh it's a compromise by definition and i think that's the biggest part that we were trying to solve that if somebody gets to your organization through your weakest link how do you know um that ingredient is innocent or not so that's what we're doing that's the value proposition so so you look at you know you, you talked about a whole slew of different cyber incidents that have taken place you've You know there's this blind trust in the supply chain today and I don't want to say it's blind by choice right it's you're it's almost blind because you don't have a choice as a practitioner a lot of security practitioners would love to say no to specific vendors or to specific softwares coming out our environment but we have to pick battles and we have to pick hills we're willing to die on right not every hills worth dying on you know what's what's how do you see solving that that challenge of, of being able to overcome the all of these different tools and apps that end up in your environment that end up creating blind spots really for practitioners. Yeah, actually we had a good discussion more on that. Eventually um today the way to kind of do third party risk is questionnaires. And then you send uh, I got I just got one from one of the our customers. When I fill it out I'm saying okay and I can send them my latest report. I, I've done a PT and then I will send them my last vulnerability scanning. I mean, we do dog footing for our own environment. But it doesn't matter because tomorrow they, there can be another incident that happened or it's, it's something that happened in time, right? It's a point in time and you need to, need to know consistently that everything he brings home um, is safe so the way I see it it's kind of a, like a trust portal you need to have some kind of 
system that can digest those uh, ingredients that sulfur you bring in home and tell you what it contains and how it affects you. Because we've seen that hype cycle for the S-bomb thing that's going on for the past couple of years, I think, well, even more. And eventually, it, that's just a document that tells you what ingredients the vendor brings, but it doesn't tell you if and how it affects your organization, what you need to do with that. Um, did they fix it? Will they fix it? Can they fix it? Do you need to fix it? So that's kind of the challenges that I think that organization I had to deal with in my previous world um, had to has to deal with today. And that's something we're trying to solve and figure out how can we make sure an organization knows that every at least every open source third party he brings home, um, how it affects the organization itself. Yeah, yeah, you look at these third parties, you look at all these different tools and it's third and it's fourth and it's fifth and yeah. it's sixth party, right? I mean, you know, the victims of of, of SolarWinds primarily were, were government and Microsoft, right? But then Microsoft had a slew of millions of, of, of subsequent sub-victims based on on them falling victim to SolarWinds. And none of Microsoft's customers could tell, you know, Microsoft, hey, are you using SolarWinds? Is SolarWinds, like the SolarWinds have access? You know, what's what's the balance you see between kind of third party and supply chain visibility to, to actual actionable intelligence, right? Because at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's a limit, there's a capacity by which we as security people yep. can operate it. Where do you see that line being drawn into sand for you? Is it is it third, fourth, fifth? Is it, does that even matter, or is it you know operating components? Kind of like when you look at like a turbine engine, right? The the operating components really really matter uh, as compared to maybe you know it's a great the, the plastic on the seat. Yeah, I think eventually, let's say Solowin, they it happened right. So it's an I think it's inevitable because. We've seen it with nation state actors and it happened with SolarWinds and with 36 and with Jump Cloud. And that's fine. Nobody expects uh, 100% of coverage, especially from nation state. But the thing is that you want to have kind of uh, points in your process, in your software development lifecycle process that will tell you that before you release your software, your customers, you've done everything you could in order to prevent uh, or stop the breach. Because if you've been attacked, that's one thing. But if you're passing that on to your customers, that's another thing. So, so every attack obviously impacts customers, right? Whether it's it's a consumer with what we saw with the Colorado Department of Higher Education now, or you know. Um, uh, apparently, not, the UK election system was was breached this morning. Already, yeah, that's a you know shocker. Uh, there, digital elections are going to be secure <laughs> somehow. That's an oxymoron for me, but okay, um, right? But you see those those impact consumers. There seems to be a greater attention on the B two B business side of 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 impact, right? So, 
you know, SolarWinds impacted Microsoft's business continuity, the impact of the ability of Microsoft to really one, continue to develop, to, to, to deliver products, to do a lot of different things. And, and if, you know, Microsoft Exchange goes down, right, for an hour, that's a headline on Bleeping Computer or the Hacker News, right? Microsoft outage. And, you know, like, as of 40 minutes ago, the story is an hour old, right? As of 40 minutes ago, Microsoft resolved the 20-minute outage. You know, where's... Where, where, where are we looking at data or are we looking at operations? Um, it's funny because one of uh, our prospects I uh, reached out to, I think, um, a month ago, and they've been hit by uh, an attack. I, I won't say the name of the attack. Because, that's fine. Uh, that, that's okay. We don't want you to. Exactly. The bad guys listen to this. We we, we see them. Exactly. And and you know I. When I spoke with the I spoke with the CISO and then um, he told me sounds interesting. Let me pass you on to my application security manager. And I spoke to him and, and I told him, listen, you had a, an incident like a year and a half ago. You had three days of downtime and you lost money. It is incident response. And I was like, you know, I, I sat in my chair and I was like, okay, that's a close first close deal. I'm gonna call my VC later on and tell him I just closed my first deal. And he was like. Yeah, but um, we're we're good now. I asked, "What do you mean by good? We change procedures." And then I asked, "But how do you know like that the next attack isn't going to affect you? Because I mean, you change procedures and now you, you cover that hole. But there are a lot of opportunities over there, and I think there's still a lot um, education today on that matter, like." Let's take 10 years ago when the known vulnerabilities um, solution came out to the market, even before it, but when they, it became like a, a norm, a commodity or a part of the process. So everybody were very educated about it and then it became part of SOC 2 and other compliance uh, regulation, which by the way, we, we are seeing today with the ICD regulation with, um, with the NIST and the US government. But still, um, I think it will take at least two to four years before we can actually see security professionals take action in terms of actual attack because there's still not liable for that. It's not regulated yet. It's not required in the current public compliance unless if you develop software to the U.S. government, that's one thing. But if it's only for the public sector, okay. you don't need to adhere to one of those. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I've yet to see a regulation stop a data breach or bad practice. I've seen companies pay off regulations. I've seen companies pay fines and say, we're going to do better. And, you know, they end up in the headline again just about a year later. I I'm one of those people who I don't think government can solve these problems through regulation, right? Like, I feel like this has to be an industry standard. This has to be something that starts with the giants that goes, that's kind of trickle down in the type of, type of approach in order for it to really have any sort of teeth. Because, I mean, we saw the SEC rules last week, right? You've got to report an incident within four days. What I know about an incident in four days? Yeah. I, GDPR, data breaches, you have to do it like it, even less. Yeah, 72 hours, I right. think, right? But but what do I know in four days? I don't know anything. 
I, I don't know much. I know I'm going through an event. I know that there's potential impact, but, but I don't know everything. And so this idea that we're reporting in four days, I feel like that's a, that, that, that's adding, you know, betting chances. <laughs> I haven't right. thought about it this way, actually. It's, 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 it's almost like, a, it's almost like betting on a game and you're betting on a pay by play by play type of thing. All right. You know, is, is Messi now going to score? Is it will right? And then you know I'm gonna go see him next month when it comes to Atlanta. I'm really excited, but um, but but you know is is he gonna score now? And if he is, the odds are four to one. And I feel like all the SEC did was essentially say, here you go, let's bet on a stock. Yeah. They're going through an incident. They don't know how severe it is. Oh man, let's short the stock, right? Because people are gonna run away from it because they don't know what it is, and it's been four days. I mean, how do you not know? Everyone knows. It's so easy to know. Go on, Google it. Who hacked so-and-so? Google will tell you. AI will, yeah. right? Chat GBT would. Well, it's, uh, it has data. Does it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. They're feeding it data now. They're feeding yeah. it data. Different companies are feeding it data. I've heard a bunch of AI claims uh, in, in, the last, in, in the last several weeks that have made my head almost want to explode like, Chris Roberts does when he reads a really bad sales ad, right? Like a really bad salesy. Like, hey, can I get seven minutes of your time to talk about three things? Seven minutes is good. Seven minutes. That's what they're asking for nowadays. Seven to 15. But anyways, going back to the CICD pipeline, right? Going back to open source, you've got open source repositories, you've got PyPy, you've got all these different kind of intermixtures. How do you start kind of grasping that? You know, and, 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 and does Blindspot have anything in, in mind for CI, CD, you know, kind of security? Yeah. So I think one of the first thing that I've experienced with working with engineers, my company for that, is that they don't care about security. Most of them, I, I would say roughly, I'm, and I pre-apologize uh, for those who are, but about 85% at least. And they bring anything they need or want to the organization and may it makes sense. Right. Right? If you need a calculator, you won't try and figure out, oh, I, I will go and see this kind of uh, package. It has more maintainers, so it's probably more updated and I'll go get they see the first one and they get it. Um and we need to keep that productivity going. And the way um we've approached that, that we want to know if it's safe or not. How do you check that? You have two areas. First, sanity in the code. You want to look at the code and figure out if it's doing anything malicious. That's the, that's the first part. And the second part, you want to know if the process has been, have, has been compromised. How would you do that? So what we are doing is basically we're taking the end product, whether it's a dependency or your own software, and we're decomposing it into its ingredients. So, for example, in Java, we decompose the jar and we take it and then we compare it to the source code. Why? If you compare the binary to the source code and they match, nothing happened in between. That's it. You don't need to implement anything on the CI CD itself. You don't need to ask the open source vendor to start implementing all kinds of security measures. You don't need to ask your developer to implement thinking when he's uh, uh, getting a new uh, dependency. Of course, you know, best practice and in uh, 
optimal world, he or she will do that, but we're not there yet. So that's our approach. Like, and uh, Chris, I'm sorry, but it's like it, zero trust your developers. <laughs> um, yeah. Z zero trust your developers. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, I'm, I'm coughing there, buddy. Um, you know, I, I don't mind zero trusting people as long as I don't say it, to, you know. There's a term, trust but verify, right? And, and a lot of people have heard the term trust but verify. My, my challenge is I feel like our CI, CD pipeline and our open source repositories is going to be the downfall of software. And I'll tell you my theory behind it. If you look at nation state adversaries, specifically China, right, which is the number one malicious. I mean, people like to talk about bad, big, bad Russia, but I, I don't buy into the Russia hype. I buy into the China long-term, let me be very quiet, but I'm a quiet undercurrent in the water that's pulling things my way. And everyone's paying attention to the shark fin over there, but that shark isn't bugging anyone. It's bad, right? They're, I'm not, I'm not saying Russians are good, but at, at the grand scheme of things, the Chinese are much worse. China's able to put out, what is it? I think the last statistics I saw was 150,000 developers every six months into the, into the ecosystem. That's the pace over the next decade that they can do this. 150,000 new developers every six months. No one can do that. those numbers. No one can compete. Potentially India, right? India could potentially do this, right? But India still got a road to go for their education sector in order to be able to produce that, that capacity. China could theoretically go in and poison every single open source repository with backdoors and Trojans. And, you know, we saw what they did with the U.S. military systems where they had, you know, disruption in the grid, you know, and <laughs> the, these weren't spyware. This was... This is a kill switch. The moment we deem to use this kill switch, we're going to kill you. You know, and we're going to take all your systems down. You know, how do you start even, how do you go about this as a founder and go, how do we even start to solve for a problem like this one? Because I, I think that's the real threat. At the end of the day, the real threat is nation states going in and weaponizing software to get backdoors, to steal IP, to steal information, to steal data in order to weaponize it later whether it be to short sell your stock, buy your company, create a, you know, there's a Chinese car maker in China. And I don't know if you've, you know, for, for those that have, you know, gone to China, it looks exactly like an Audi. Feels like an Audi. All the design is an Audi, but it's a Chinese car maker. And you're like, did they instill Audi IP on this? They absolutely did. Yeah. Right. Like, so I think, um, it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned that because if I would go back a few months um, and I would speak to a CISO and he would tell me, listen, this is like nation state text. And I will tell him, you know, you're right. Why, why would that happen to you? And you know, I would say, uh, it's not. He's not my persona. He's not my buyer, probably, because uh, he's not afraid, um, and he has good case. But these days, let's take, for example, the Jump Cloud incident. Um, again, North Korea, right? Not China, by the way, North Korea. You mean China's 
Yeah. China's lucky, right? Yeah, exactly. And then eventually, if you have customers, if you're a software provider and you have customers and you're a target and they did it in a very sophisticated way, so eventually you need to put a measure at the end of the road of the SDLC before it gets customers. Again, if you're being compromised, that's one thing. Um, you need to put a everywhere that is, that is a distribution point in your process, you need some kind of control that will tell you this is equals what you had in your source code, one-to-one. -one. And then you know that even if they're very, very silent, and they are, they'll get to your organization. They might hurt you. They might steal data from your organization, which, which is bad, but there are solutions for that as well, right? They wouldn't put anything that will compromise your customer. You won't ship software that contains other things that you didn't intend to. Again, it's not a hundred, right? You know Nothing better. is. Exactly. Nothing is. I don't think, knows that. I, I don't think there's any any person who practices responsible cybersecurity exactly. that tells you anything's a hundred percent. That's why when 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 customers ask me, can you guarantee that? I tell them no, because I'm hackable as well. And if I protect you and somebody compromises me, it can happen. No, that's real. I mean, we see if if you look at what happened last week. Give you a prime example: the Five Eyes, right? I, I think it was earlier this week, over the weekend. So the five eyes released, these are the most exploitable vulnerabilities we're seeing in the world. Right, but they kind of named the top five or six of them. You know what the top four were? F5, Ivante, and Fortinet. Now, all three have big booth here at Black Hat. All three are giving talks. All three spend a lot of money to be here, yet all three have critical vulnerabilities that are the most exploitable vulnerabilities by threat actors in the marketplace today. Not Microsoft, not Apple, not Google. They're all respective, not Oracle, not SAP. All of them respective in their own way with their own vulnerabilities. It seems like we forget to patch our security products sometimes, or we forget to address the fact that our security product has an issue that we should probably be taking care of. As the producer or like, where it's in the company already. I think both, but but I think there's a joint responsibility there, right? If I'm a security company and I, I, I produce software that's supposed to secure your organization that now is causing an, an issue, how is it that I'm letting it go two years unpatched? At what point do you call your customer and say, you're soiling my reputation because you're going to get breached. The moment you get breached, it, I'm going to be the, the, the vector which means my name's going to be in there attached to yours saying hackers hacked the Norwegian government because of the, you know, Ivanti mobile iron, mobile core iron, whatever, mobile iron core product or endpoint EPMM. They keep renaming stuff. I'm sick of it. Give it a name, stick to it. Stop rebranding <laughs> stuff, right? Like stop it seriously. Like stupid. Just stop. Don't well, brand it. Can... Yeah. Like don't. It's the same thing with threat actors. They give them 732,000 names. You don't know who they're talking about. Like, you don't. This company, Palo, names it, you know, water. 
These guys name it Cola and these guys name it Pepsi. Name it one name. One name, please. Like, go pull a name. Chris, can you solve that? One name. That's it. That's all I want. One name. One name for an APT. Give it one name. That's it. Whoever finds it first gets to pick it. And everyone else has got to call it that. I agree. Right? I'll take it. And Paolo should call all of the threat actors they find checkpoint something. That'll be <laughs> That didn't work, probably. That, 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 that would be hilarious. That would almost be as good as the billboard that, that Paolo put on ILO and in Tel Aviv. You're now passing checkpoint. We also did. Um, there's, there's some classic trolling. Um, so we'll take it. I think it, it makes it for fun for, for people like me. I just enjoy it. But, but, you know, in terms of the vulnerability, sometimes it's a matter of, you know, priority because the provider wants to provide the software as soon as possible. And then they have like a fixed party vulnerability somewhere that they can even fix. And it will take them a month to figure out how to patch or, or six months. Right. But, but, but at what point do you take that? Component? And they don't tell them to do it. Consumer. So, so this is where I kind of, I've, I've had tackles with technology teams. Okay. If we've got a fourth or fifth or sixth party vulnerability, how critical is it to the operation of our product? Meaning, what's the workaround? Could we potentially disable it? Could we potentially look at other solutions? Is there a second company, a competitor that has a similar product that we could use and then discontinue this one? And every contract, every contract should have a, a, a vulnerability, <laughs> one reporting clause, and it should have a termination clause based on vulnerability if if doesn't meet SLA. That that's uh, super important because I think part of the Asbon methodology um, we don't have today right. is when you're disclosing a vulnerability, you need to explain if it might hurt you. So it can be either is is even uh, are we even using that in the code of the right. product because. Listen, I have a critical vulnerability, but don't worry because I'm not using that function. And that's fine. So don't worry about it that I'm taking liability for that. Or they can tell the customer, being used, but if uh, if you're using that in an internal network, you're fine. As long as it's not exposed. But it's, uh, it's uh, um, I think it's a matter of minor critical points that you have to figure out and that part of the data that you need by the customer um, for him to make better decision to what to do with the product itself, right? I, I completely agree with that. I think a CVSS score that's given out by a vendor is important, but it doesn't signify yeah. the same thing, a 9.9, you know. Even the APSS, the new one, which is better, but still. Chris Hughes had a really good write-up on it, by the way on CVSS 4.0, on CSO online. I don't know. I was going to cover it on on literally my show this morning before I flew in, but I didn't have enough time on the show because I went on a North Korea-Russia rant for three and a half minutes on, on, on how China and Russia really don't get along. Yes, they're allies, but they're allies only because we, the West, are stupid in terms of towards our approach towards Russia because I feel like, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that has gone on behind the scenes leading up to the last year and a half or so of what we're being told. Um, and, and I feel like we're being highly misinformed because 
the real threat is is the Chinese and the Chinese operate the North Koreans and when they want North Korea to go out and do something disruptive, they go out and let them do something disruptive disruptive because it's a bargaining chip for the Chinese, right? The the North Koreans are a bargaining chip for them every time. Um so very interesting. So tell us about the future of Blind Spot. You're here at Black Hat. What's next for y'all? What's what's your expectation from Black Hat? What are you gonna be looking to do until the end of this year? How, what should listeners know about Blindspot now that they've heard you speak? But what, what do you want to leave them with? Well, I think, and, uh, and I told that to my team that came with us, uh, it's not a matter of, you know, getting leads or signing new customer. That's, uh, and I won't, I won't let my VCs hear that part. They're going to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you were going to cut this out, send it to your VCs. Everyone puts their VCs on their website too. It's great. Um, the, the intention is eventually to, um, put some education out. It's not that I think that I know better than anybody else, right? It's just a matter that, that what I've been doing and I would love to share my experience doing that. And, you know, if it resonates, then great. If it doesn't, I'm going to do it like a hundred more times and, and it will eventually, because as you mentioned, it's Chinese, it's can be ripped kitties and it works. We we've seen downloads of like ten thousand of downloads of just malicious packages like people like typo squatting. Customers ask me if we have typo squatting support. And I will like, you know, if your developer is going, going to download a package called request S, then he's stupid, sorry. <laughs> um but yeah, we have support for that if you need that. And what I would like people to know that vulnerabilities is one thing. It's very, very important. But you should safeguard yourself um, from malicious actors as well. Because that's the new way. Yep. You know, the, peri- the perimeter today of the company is just too strong. It's very hard um, to just, you know, we're not in the on-prem era anymore. That People do misconfigurations of checkpoint firewalls. Doesn't happen. And, and even if so, it's not the usual Tomcat 7 server that you add and you can do flash admin and then use the default credentials and then, you know, do network reversal. And you can do that with IoT devices today. Yeah, exactly. That's um, the new Tomcat 7 server. Exactly. So the risk is, so the risk is coming from attackers shifted their focus and they understand that. 85% or more of the code is open source. And this is a, a great vector, right? This is a great vector. Or even if you do spear phishing on somebody in the organization, you get to the organization and you take the CI CD itself, it's quiet. Hard to figure out if you've been attacked or that, right? Yeah. Which happened to SolarWinds or, and 36, you know, um, a second before the binary has been signed, uh, malicious code has been checked. Right. And that's my expectation. This journey uh, in Black Hat and all in all. Awesome. So what's the website people can go to to learn more about Blindspot Security? Blindspot.security. See, that's so easy. It's in the name. It's no Coca-Cola or, you know, I mean, there's not even a .com now. It's Blindspot.security. They've started selling those domains. I love it. I love it. 
All right. Y'all, thank you for being on the show, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your support of the CyberHelp Podcast and, and Audience First and, and all the awesome people around here. Um, and, and good luck on your journey. Uh, I hope I get to cover your next raise on my show and say, you know, friend of the show, you uh, just raised VCs, give them like 50 million. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Work. 50 would work, wouldn't it? I mean, that's at least like 1,000 happy hours. Yeah, that's a lot of happy hours. Yeah. Yeah. If nothing else. And and, and a bunch of black hats. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Yad.